couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing... Hey guys, this is Daniel. We're going to do a special bonus episode today where I discuss the song Rednecks. There have been several guests that have asked me my opinion about Rednecks in previous episodes, and I have always deflected. Uh, I've made it podcast policy that I don't talk about that song. I went so far to commission a bumper specifically saying that I don't talk about Rednecks. Dan doesn't talk about Rednecks. I'm going to make an exception to that today. Uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I wanted to do this by myself because I have a lot to say on this matter. And I know there are a lot of people out there who have talked at great length about this song, who have written at great length about this song. And to be honest, I have avoided reading those. I have avoided listening to people talk about this song. Uh, because it is something that is so personal. And I think it's something that's so personal to many, many people uh, in different ways, depending on your experience. If you're not familiar with the song, it is a song sung from the point of view of a racist and a person who is not afraid to use violent racist imagery. Uh, he uses a word that starts with an N. It is a word that has not left my lips since I was 12 years old. I hesitate to call it the N word because that kind of almost makes it sound cute and it's not cute. Uh, I say this because if you're not familiar with the song and you want to listen to the song, um, Go ahead, it is the first track on the album Good Old Boys. I want you to be prepared for what you're listening for. So it does use that racial slur many, many times. Uh, so if you're so inclined, pause this and we will be back in a minute to discuss Rednecks. Rednecks! Okay, I want to say right off that uh, artistically this is a brilliant song it has layers upon layers upon layers and it's the rare song that makes you think I mean I have thought about this song for hours and hours and hours and there aren't many songs that can can make that claim for anybody. That being said, I feel that this song misses the mark in so many ways. Um, quick summary, we have a protagonist who has gotten upset because uh, Lester Maddox, the governor of Georgia, uh, went on the Dick Cavett show and was 
rightfully mocked by Dick Cavett. Uh, Dick Cavett is not a smart-ass New York Jew. He's a Lutheran from Nebraska, but, you know, the don't expect this protagonist to get a lot of facts right. Don't ever expect a Randy Newman protagonist to get the facts right. But But anyway, he is making this claim that Northerners are just as racist as Southerners. And I have seen people take that claim at face value. Really, this this song is, is quite a Rorschach test. There are Southern racists who embrace this song. There are some people that just get their jollies out of hearing a white person say that slur. And it got to the point where people were singing along to this in concert, which, uh, in my understanding, you know, disturbed Randy a great deal. And it would be, be easy for a white Southern racist to embrace this song and to justify embracing this song. Because so much of the song is making fun of white Southerners. And it, it's a lot of typical white Southern tropes. The, the, the no-neck oil man and the, uh, the, the, the dumbasses uh, from Louisiana and so forth. So it would be easy for someone to say, Hey, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Sure, I'm saying that word, but look, I'm also making fun of white people. I'm just making fun of everybody here. It's just a fun, good-natured song. The implication being there that using that epithet is acceptable, that it's poking fun. And that is a sentiment that I've heard all my life. Uh, for those of y'all who, who don't know me, I... I was born in Seattle, but at age seven, I moved to Alabama and was there until hmm, age 17 or so. So I was surrounded by people who used this epithet with impunity. My grandparents, in particular, used this word very frequently. Uh, my parents would fuss at them when they did it, but they they used it regularly and at the same time would be very upset uh, if they were watching a PG movie and someone used what they considered bad language. Everyone is a product of their society so I'm condemning the society more than the individual. I love my grandparents but this was a terrible flaw uh, in them and it's a flaw that could have been avoided uh, if they had grown up in a more just society. And really, aren't we all working toward building a more just society? Isn't, isn't that what we're doing here, folks? So that brilliant people like my grandparents uh, can uh, be better individuals and be more socially productive individuals. That's the society we're trying to build. The other problem when you hear this song from a white southern racist point of view uh, 
is a sentiment that I've heard a lot. Uh, if you listened to Shit Town, the NPR podcast, you heard uh, the white Southerners say this a lot. Y'all Northerners are just as racist as us. And the protagonist in this song makes a pretty good argument for that case because he he lists um, example after example after example just mercilessly of instances of mass incarceration in the north and there's a great big nugget of truth that is uh, buried in that pile of horse shit uh, I've been all around the country uh, I've seen problems throughout the country. Mass incarceration is a huge problem nationwide, uh, but you're kidding yourself if you think that it isn't worse in the South. Uh, think about the Great Migration what, from, what, 1910 to 1940. Uh, I'm getting my numbers wrong here probably, but uh, roughly 2 million African Americans left the South uh, in the Great Migration. Uh, they weren't leaving because of the weather, folks. They were leaving because of lynching. They were leaving because of a society that was violent toward them. They were leaving uh, a society that wouldn't allow them to to enter a field such as manufacturing. Things are better in the North. It's easy for us to to be idealistic and 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 for someone to say things are great in the North. Uh, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's rough to be an African American anywhere in this country, uh, but it is 10 times worse in the South. And the protagonist of this song either doesn't realize that because he's never left Alabama for any significant amount of time, or he is lying to the audience. Either way, it is a sentiment that should be dismissed. At 17, I moved to Oklahoma, and Oklahoma has huge problems. There is a lot of racism in Oklahoma. There are a lot of things that I'm upset about uh, in our state government, but I can always look at it and say, well, it's not Alabama, folks. Believe it or not, it could be worse. So I wanted to address you know, that part of the Rorschach test first, that many people uh, take this song as an anthem that emboldens violent rednecks. And that's a problem. Many people use this song to excuse the horrors of the South. And that is wrong too. I was talking with someone, uh, a potential guest, the other day. He's in his you know, I think late fifties. I'm in my mid forties. So you know, there's there, there's some time between us. But one observation that he made that 
that really surprised me. And this is something that I think a lot of white people don't understand. He talked about the racial epithet that Randy uses in this song and classified it as naughty language. And I really bristle at that. Motherfucker is naughty language. This racial slur is an act of violence. If that is a surprising statement to you, um, Google is your friend. Read up on this word. Okay? I'm, a lot of people will throw, you know, Huckleberry Finn at you. will throw, you know, Harper Lee at you. Um, and, you know, my copy of Huckleberry Finn has literally a 40-page prologue about this word. Has its meaning changed over the past hundred years? Honestly, not much. Even in Huckleberry Finn, it was used in the context of describing someone as less than human. I think a lot of white people simply don't understand that. I think that's muddied by the fact that, that, that we white people have, have dipped our toe into hip-hop. And I mean dipped our toe. Not researched the meaning behind what we're listening to. And so it would be easy for us to say, well, if Q-Tip says this, if Lauren Hill says this, then why can't I? And I really can't imagine what is going on in someone's life that their complaint is that they are not allowed to use this word. What happened to you that that is a legitimate complaint you have in your life? And so I've been thinking about examples in uh, literature when white people have used this. You know, Tarantino comes to mind uh, immediately. And I have, I have problems with it being used in, in Tarantino films. Django gets a pass because we're talking about villains historical villains in a time where this word flowed like running water but uh, its usage in reservoir dogs where a white person uses it joking with two other white people um, is really unacceptable you didn't have to have that scene in there to establish that nice guy Eddie is a terrible human being we already knew Nice Guy Eddie was a terrible human being. Uh, its usage there was gratuitous. David Cross almost got away with it because he used it uh, at the end of his double album as a shock to the audience, an absurdist shock to the audience. And... The trouble is that David 
didn't just use it the one time. Uh, in interviews later with Vulture, he used the word several times. And because of that, uh, the effectiveness of him using it in his stand-up that one time was gone. Uh, Boots Riley likes David Cross. Uh, he used him, he cast him in the brilliant, brilliant movie, Sorry to Bother You. Uh, so I guess that's a point back in, in David Cross's hand, because uh, if you're okay with Boots, you're okay with me. But it was an instance where it was almost acceptable to use that word. Almost. I think that it was used very effectively by a white character in the uh, first episode of the series Atlanta. In that case, the, the plot device behind it was that it was a word that, that the white character was comfortable using around uh, the protagonist but was not comfortable using around African-Americans in general, African-Americans uh, who had uh, some say over his, his career. Um, so even then, it, its use was a tool to, to display disrespect. Uh, Randy has used this, song, this word in three songs. He's used it in Rednecks. He used it in the original version of Great Nations of Europe uh, in previous, in subsequent versions of Great Nations of Europe. Uh, he it wisely rewrite, rewrites it uh, and uses the word natives, which is uh, not only you know, ethically more appropriate, but, but fits the plot of the song better. Um, he also uses it in Christmas in Cape Town. Uh, where he is speaking from the point of view of an apartheid supporter. Um, it's not a good song. Uh, it's not a song that I play. And his usage in that was gratuitous. Wheel of Randy is not a Randy Newman hagiography. I've expressed my disappointment in some of his stuff artistically before, and I am expressing my disappointment uh, in him choosing to use this word. It would be different if he had recorded Rednecks once and just left it at that. Um, at that point, um, at the very least, the word is used as a plot device to uh, to elicit shock. Uh, but that's not what he did. He didn't just record it once. Uh, he recorded it, you know, on the songbooks. Uh, he published it in sheet music. Uh, he has performed it live. And... That is something that I really, really wish that he hadn't done. Uh, part of the reason that Dan doesn't talk about rednecks is because I'm trying to be positive about this and I'm trying to, to highlight all the social good 
that Randy has done and uh, the artistic genius behind his work and Rednecks detracts from that. I know that everyone has different experiences. Uh, I know some of you all can can hear that racial slur and it not be painful. Conversely, I know there are a lot of people who hear that racial slur and it is much, much more painful to them than it is to me. Uh, to me, it is a word that, that evokes painful embarrassment. It has shocked me over the years um, how much white people use this word behind closed doors. Um, I knew a young man when I was 17 uh, who behind closed doors would sing Johnny Reb songs. If you don't know who Johnny Reb is, count your blessings. But it's extremely racist, extremely violent stuff. I have had co-workers who have used this word. It was earlier in my career uh, because I didn't call them out on it. But they were several layers of management ahead of me. There is a boldness that happens when white racists are together behind closed doors. Uh, you know, Eddie Murphy kind of had it right when he did that skit, White Like Me, and you know he was on the bus, and the last black person left the bus, and all of a sudden, you know, the stewardesses came out and everything was, was nicer. You know, it's certainly an exaggeration, but some white people are just different when they're by themselves. They, they can keep a veneer of respectability when the camera's on them uh, or when they are in quote-unquote polite company. But just like some uh, white Southerners will not cuss in front of a woman, uh, they will not use this language in front of a black man. I've been shocked how prevalent its usage is. I'm now at the point where um, I'm comfortable mocking people who use it. You know, if I go to them and say, oh, I can't believe you said that, uh, they're going to laugh at me and make some PC joke. Um, but if I mock them as using you know, outdated language, Sometimes that's effective. So this is a case where, okay, grandma is effective. It lets them know that I disapprove. And it lets them know that I'm not being a tight ass, but that they were the one with the problem. But this is not a word that is naughty, like that guy said. It is a word that tells people you are less than human. And I cannot think 
of an instance where a songwriter can be justified in using it. You know, we could get into David Allen Coe another time. Um, boy, that's, that's, <laughs> David Allen Coe is a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. I think what really drove home to me that white Southerners aren't fucking around when they use this word um, is a um, story my grandfather told me. Um, if you're related to me and you want to have nothing but fond memories of our grandfather, uh, you might want to stop this episode now. Um, but this is, this is a incident that my grandfather and I had, uh, that I've never talked about publicly. Um, I wanted to wait until, uh, you know, my father had died. I wanted to wait until all of my grandfather's children had died, uh, and were there. And maybe I should have had the courage to tell this story earlier. Um, but we're, we're telling it now. Uh, my grandfather was a charming, handsome man. He worked uh, as a newspaper man. He worked as a postmaster. He worked for the Border Patrol. He worked for Immigration and Nationalization. He was a doting grandfather. He uh, was someone that I adored. Uh, I would spend two or three weeks with him every summer, and we would play poker and make chicken fried steak and pick tomatoes. And, uh, you know, I, I adored this man. About a year before he died, I was visiting him, and, and he was telling stories. And he told me a couple of stories. One story he told me was that when he was a young man, there was a... I won't use the, the words that he used, but there was a... <clears throat> revival uh, near town and all of the you know what I'm just going to use an air horn in place of the word that he used because in word is, does not describe it enough he said one time I went to a revival and it, they were outside, and all the were there listening to the preacher. And I got a kite, and I lit it on fire, and I flew that kite over the revival and made it look like there was this big sign in the sky. And he laughed and laughed and laughed about that joke. Then he told me 
that when he was a teenager, there was a dance in town. I've always imagined it was an, an armory or some such thing. I, I don't know, but it was in a building. And he said that he got on the roof and he got a broomstick and painted it red, attached a rope to the end of the broomstick, lit the rope on fire, and threw it into the building. And all of the yelled dynamite and ran out and he laughed and laughed this was his idea of a cute story this was his idea of teenage hijinks this is texas in the 20s I and mean, we're not that far away from we're not that far past from uh, the Waco lynchings. This is right around the time that uh, the white supremacists burned black Tulsa to the ground. Uh, and this man that I adore was participating in acts of racial terrorism. And 70 years later, thought that that was a cute story to tell his grandchildren. I'm not fucking around when I say the South was a dangerous place for a black man. It still is. Yeah, the protagonist lists all these places, you know, Harlem, East St. Louis, Boston, San Francisco, uh, where there's mass incarceration. Uh, but the South was next level stuff. And we don't teach that. I never learned about lynchings in school. I had a year of Alabama history. I had never learned anything about lynchings. I did not even see the word lynch um, with any significance until about 1991, 1992, when people were talking about how the liberal media was lynching Ronald Reagan's legacy. That is my first memory of the word ever being used. It's a part of history that I think people are being are, are better about being taught now, maybe a little, but it was completely, and I mean this in every sense of the word, whitewashed from my history growing up. And because of that, it's easy for us to fall into this rednecks trap, to see the South as this charming place where, yeah, they, 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 they mess around with the black people, uh, but everyone's giving each other shit. Everyone's making fun of, you know, white people too. And, uh, oh, what a naughty song this is. You know, you, you, you white northerners need to get off your high horse and realized you're just as bad as us. Guys, it, it's a lie. And I think it is a lie that Randy fell for. I think that, that he wrote this song with the intent of exposing bigotry and mocking bigotry and exposing 
the hypocrisy of bigotry in the North. There are better ways to do that than to elevate a voice of violence like the singer of this song. Everybody's a product of their experience. I keep saying that, but you know, it's true. Some of you all can listen to this song and it doesn't affect you one way or another. I would never ask an African-American to listen to this song uh, for the purpose of giving me their opinion about it. That being said, I want to listen to what other people think about this. I especially want to listen to, to what African-Americans have to say about this song. Um, I'm not asking anyone that I know to listen to this song for the sake of giving me a rounder opinion. I don't need a rounder opinion of rednecks. It is what it is to me. It is a well-written song with many layers of meaning behind it, but written by a person who doesn't get it. Just because Randy had spent part of his childhood in New Orleans doesn't mean that he has his pulse on the South. And he's writing from the perspective of an Alabaman. And while he's got the language right, and while he's got a lot of the sentiments right, the messaging is way, way off. Don Henley once glorified this song as being a, a merciless condemnation of racism. You know, if that's what you get out of it, good for you. But there are better ways to do that. There are ways to condemn racism that are not... Um, that do not embolden unrepentant racists. Uh, I watched the presidential debate last night where Donald Trump turned down the opportunity con to condemn white supremacy. And he, uh, what was the phrase he used? Uh, the Proud Boys stand back and stand by. That is language that emboldens racists. And what we have in Rednecks is a message that emboldens racists. It emboldens racists. It opens up wounds for African Americans. It makes certain um, white northerners feel smug. It makes certain white Southerners feel smug. Everyone wants to think the problem isn't them. I can't imagine anyone hearing it from Don Henley's perspective. I can't imagine anyone listening to this song and being inspired to be a better person. Being inspired to improve society. There are plenty of people, Southern artists, who do that successfully. 
Randy ain't one of them, guys. You know, it would be easy for someone in my position to say, yeah, my grandparents were racist, but look how much better I am. I don't use that word, uh, so why should I be held responsible for anything? The Germans have a word. I don't speak German, so bear with me here. But it's Vergangenheitsbewältigung, and it roughly translates with to struggle to overcome the negatives of the past. That Germany as a society uh, is coping with the horrors of its past. And that is a rite of passage that, that Southern Americans and Americans in general have not, uh, have not practiced. I believe that we are responsible for the sins of our grandparents. I believe that we are responsible for the sins of our great-grandparents. If you are a Christian and you raise your eyebrows at that, I might suggest you open up Exodus 20 and read the Ten Commandments. Here's a portion of the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus 20, parts of verse 5 and 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me. Funny, that part seems to get edited out when they put a Ten Commandments display at the courthouse. But we are responsible for the acts of our ancestors. It is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Let me read the next verse of that. But showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. That when we work toward justice, when we work toward equitability, when we work toward a societal righteousness, it pays off not only for us, not only for our kids and our grandkids, but for a thousand generations. That also is our responsibility. So no, I'm not as racist as my grandparents. Big deal, neither are you, because society is improving. But it is still our responsibility. And if we do this right, we can make a just and equitable society for thousands of years. It's right there in the Ten Commandments, folks. I gotta believe that with all my heart. If you want to talk to me about rednecks, uh, that's fine. You can reach me um, by email, wheelofrandy at gmail.com. Um, I don't think that social media is the appropriate place to discuss this. And I really hesitated to, to talk about this today um, because it is, podcast is, you know, by its very nature, public. But you know, we're, what, 15 episodes in and five or six times 
this song has come up. It strikes a nerve. Uh, and in that sense, it's a well-written song. But I think it is a song that has been lifted up uh, more than it deserves. Okay, really, that's all I've got to say. Um, I want to thank everyone who is who has listened to the show. I want to thank everyone who has participated in the show. Um, I love getting feedback. I love the 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 ratings on on Apple Podcasts. I love the reviews. Um, and I love talking with people uh, about Randy. And there's a whole lot about Randy that we can talk about without talking about rednecks. So in the future, when you hear uh, that song from Matt Fraley, Dan doesn't talk about rednecks. Now you know a little bit of the reason why. Um, we're here to have fun, and this is not a fun song, guys. All right. Join us next week, October begins Pixar month here at Wheel of Randy. So we have uh, four Pixar episodes coming up at you. Uh, it's part of the reason I wanted to publish this today. You don't want to throw rednecks in the middle of Pixar month. Uh, poor Pixar doesn't deserve that. All right. Have a good day, guys. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.